Good morning, everybody. Welcome to episode seven of Unleashed, where we're going to be joined by Drew Dudley. I, uh, I uh, want to just uh, remind everybody that the reason that we're doing this weekly series is to bring world-class thought leaders, speakers, and authors right into your living room every Thursday morning. I'm your host, of course, Jeff Tetz, the CEO of Results. Our company is just trying to make it easier for other organizations to grow. And uh, that's exactly what this podcast is, uh, or this, uh, this uh, webinar is all about, is just trying to bring tools, processes, strategies, and research uh, in, into, your own, um, uh, into your own organization so that you become a better leader and you can also help make your organization filled with other great leaders. Uh, we're giving away copies of Drew's book today. So Drew Dudley has written a wonderful book called This Is Day One. Now, the way that you get into the draw is to simply fill out the feedback form. So when this episode is over, uh, rather than just close your browser, please click on the continue button at the bottom left hand of your screen. It'll direct you to a feedback page, which also includes some special offers to make an even bigger impact on your business. And a couple of the offers that we have available today is Results is doing a culture and connection workshop. This is all about building high performance remote teams. How do you create clarity, visibility, how do you embed accountability for getting things done in a remote work environment? Now that workshop is uh, normally valued at about $300. We're running it for $79 a person. There's only 20 spots remaining in this workshop and you'll have that first chance to sign up for that at the end of today's show. You'll also have a chance to sign up for Drew's leadership course, Day One Direct, $200 training program and Drew is kindly offering that up for only $10 US all of the proceeds go to frontline workers as well, which is remarkable. There's a lot of people here that have been joining us for almost every episode. And as I mentioned, this is the seventh one. And some of you may be here for the first time. Uh, but if you're wondering, oh, how, can you, uh, how can you help us grow uh, the reach, grow our community, the best way that you can do that is just tell people in your organization, tell people in your community the things that you're learning the value that you're receiving from these episodes and the speakers that we're fortunate to host. And you can do that on social media, for example, using the hashtag results unleashed. If you want to get questions in for today's guest speaker, you can do that in the Q and a box. So the chat uh, box is a place to have some fun, but if you, have, if you want to have an opportunity to get your questions answered live with Drew Dudley today, please put them in the specified Q and a box, which is different than the chat box. If we don't happen to get to your questions or you have other comments, other pieces of feedback or stories to share, you can email us those questions at info at unleashresults.com. And our show producers, Andrea Cannon and Sean Fitzgerald, will be posting that email and some of those links into the chat box uh, through today's show. Uh, and a special sneak peek to next week. Very, very interesting. This uh, pandemic has provided some interesting opportunities to connect with people you may normally uh, not really be uh, be on a first name basis with. And one of those accidental opportunities for us was a conversation with Tom Peters about a month ago. Uh, after the conversation, I asked Tom if he would come on the show and uh, Tom Peters said yes. So Tom Peters will be joining us next week, who is largely regarded as one of the foremost management and leadership thinkers of the last 40 years. So pretty cool that Tom is gonna join us from his home just outside of Boston for an hour of, uh, of discussion next week. So on with today's episode, and it's one that I've been really, really, uh, really uh, excited about. And we're going to be talking about creating significant moments of personal impact with Drew Dudley. Now, Drew Dudley is an internationally acclaimed leadership speaker. He's a Wall Street Journal bestselling author. He was actually called one of the most inspirational TED speakers in the world, and that is quite a feat. Uh, Drew Dudley is on a mission to help people unlearn some dangerous lessons about leadership. As the founder and chief catalyst of Day One Leadership, he's helped top organizations around the world increase their leadership capacity. His clients have included McDonald's, American Express, JP Morgan Chase, United Way, uh, and more than 100 colleges and universities. Prior to this, Drew spent eight years as the director of Canada's largest leadership development program at the University of Toronto. We'll probably talk about some of that experience today. He's also the best-selling author of This Is Day One, a practical guide to leadership that matters. As I mentioned, we're giving away some copies of that book today. All you have to do is fill out the feedback form at the end of the episode to get in the draw. And it debuted at number six on the Wall Street Journal bestsellers list. As a speaker, 
Drew has delivered keynotes to more than 250,000 people across five continents, and his TED Talk, Everyday Leadership, The Lollipop Moment, was voted one of the 15 most inspirational TED Talks of all time. It has almost 5 million views on the TED Talk platform. Everybody, please welcome Drew Dudley. I'll just wait for Drew's webcam. There we go. Oh, that was supposed to be seamless. That's great. So Drew, there's a lot of ground I want to cover with you today, and, uh, and an hour is going to go by fast, and, and so I, uh, I, I want to kind of get right into it. And you, uh, you had some really interesting, thought-provoking comments as we, were, uh, as we were conversing in preparation for today's episode, and one of the things that you said is there are, there are a bunch of things that, you're, that you think are maybe wrong or we're getting wrong as leaders about leadership. Let's maybe start there. What, what's wrong with leadership these days? Well, I don't, I don't know if there's anything wrong with leadership. Uh, it, I think what's the biggest challenge we have is how people think about it. There's two, two main things that I want to, that really sort of get me. One, the, how we teach leadership and two, what we allow to be called leadership. So what's wrong with leadership? Well, the concept itself, there isn't anything wrong with it at all. One of the most interesting things that I ever read was that the term leader, I've always been fascinated by people who can trace back words to where they came from. Uh, and so uh, the term leader apparently first appeared that they can find it, you know, written somewhere in the 12th century, but leadership didn't show up until the 18th century. So there's like 500 years between the concept of a leader and the concept of the process of leading. And so two things that I think we should recognize about leadership. One, we teach it in a way that's really limiting. So if you think about how you learned what a leader was, like a lot of things when you're younger, a lot of concepts are encoded in us when we're kids. And what happens is when you want young people to understand a new concept, what we do is we give examples of the concept. That's how we illustrate fundamentally a new idea. And so I think what we have to recognize is whatever examples you first give people to demonstrate a concept, not only does it shape how they think about that concept for the rest of their lives, it limits how they think about that concept for the rest of their lives. And so for most people listening here, it's probably difficult to think about the first examples you were given or remember the first examples you were given for leadership. But my guess is for most of you, and I think it's better than a guess, most of the examples that we were given for leadership were giants. They were presidents and scientific groundbreakers. They're people who conquer empires. Most of them are straight white men. And that impacts how entire generations think of the concept of leadership. And it makes most of us separate the concept of leadership from our own identity. Because the people we're given as leaders, as examples, are they look like the other to us. Yeah, they're aspirational. We'd love to be like them. But probably we don't see a lot of similarities between ourselves and Mark Zuckerberg or Warren Buffett or Steve Jobs, who are often held up as leaders and they're successful and there's nothing wrong with celebrating successful people, but it causes us to devalue the leadership that we do every day. We let moments of leadership pass by. We don't take credit for them. We don't feel good about them. And stuff we feel good about is the stuff we'll do more frequently. So when we don't feel good about moments of leadership, ultimately what we're doing is we're making it less likely that we'll repeat them. So the one thing is we're educated out of recognizing our leadership and for looking for leadership from anywhere but a small group of people that look a certain way, that sound a certain way, that act a certain way. And they're usually loud. They usually look like me uh, or older, a little more gray hair, uh, and they tend to be charismatic. That's how we associate leadership, which shuts off half the population to begin with. Uh, more than half the population because women don't see enough examples of themselves in what we teach in terms of examples of leadership. Uh, individuals who are introverts don't see themselves. So that's one thing that I think is a foundation of a lot of the work that I do in yeah. terms of what I'm trying to help counteract. The second piece is that we conflate leadership with influence and that if you have influence, you're a leader, regardless of how you gained that influence or what you're doing with it. It's because what we do is we give examples of leaders but they're all leaders because they influence things. They made things happen. But sometimes they did it through exploitation. Sometimes they did it to remove rights from other people. Sometimes they did it through violence. They did it through fear. But we call them leaders. And we basically say to young people particularly, well, yeah, they're leaders, but they're not good leaders. I think we need to take that a step farther. We need to stop calling them leaders. What they are are catalysts for harm. 
like catalyst is something that's always fascinated me the concept is since grade 10 science right you add a catalyst to something and maybe the catalyst has no power on its own but when you add it to things it it unleashes different power and so i think all leaders are catalysts but not all catalysts people who cause things to change are in fact leaders if you gain influence through fear if you do it through um, violence, if you do it, and violence can't just be physical. Violence can be attempting to dehumanize other groups of people. And if you breed off of people's fear, we need to stop calling those people leaders. We need to stop pointing at these despots and, uh, and that's not just in terms of political despots, but we're talking economic despots as well. I think that ultimately we need to stop calling them leaders. We need to stop conflating the two of them because it says to young people, you get to choose which path you take and they'll both eventually take you to leadership. We hope you take this one. I think we need to make clear that's not leadership. And if you want very quickly to be able to tell the difference between a leader and a catalyst for harm, look at how they use fear. Catalysts for harm add fear to try to win, and leaders try to remove fear in order to succeed. And those two pieces, how we teach leadership in a limiting way to begin, and how we, in some ways, indicate that it has different forms, some of which are detrimental to other people, that's not leadership, that's influence. And I think that those are two different things. Because I think leadership on, you know, fundamentally, if it's leadership, it drives things in a positive direction, maybe slowly, maybe it has missteps along the way, but ultimately that's not the same as people who gain influence in ways that are self-serving, in ways that harm other people, that exclude other people. And that happens sometimes in leadership, but in leadership, they've thought about it, you've thought it through, and you basically don't feel you have other options. Other people do not care how it impacts people as long as it impacts them. So I'm not saying that leadership never involves hurting anybody, it's simply difficult decisions sometimes end up with people being hurt, but it's not done cavalierly and it's not done without caring about the fact you're doing it because it helps you. So those are two fundamental things that really my work tries to get at. Yeah, well articulated. Uh, and, uh, and, and I think you highlight a couple of really important things there, Drew, uh, at least. And, and first of all, who do we hold up as leaders? Uh, the, the difference between you know, having power and authority versus actually being an inspirational leader uh, that enables people to perform at their best. The other part that you said in, in, the, first, uh, in, in the first point, uh, which I think is a trap that it's easy to fall into is we compare ourselves to other people. And as soon as we start to compare ourselves to others, we rob ourselves of our power. And I know that it happens to me. Like, why does this person have a business that's five times the size uh, you know, why do they live in a bigger house than me? Why do they have a million more Twitter followers than me? You know, that kind of a thing. And I, it's very self-defeating. So I think it's a good point that you bring up is uh, comparing ourselves to uh, just to the version of ourselves that we aspire to be. And then how do we define leadership and impact? Uh, really important points that I'm excited to dive into, uh, into, into with you today. Now, the other thing that, that we had talked about was uh, you had made a comment that I had that just kind of struck me as a bit odd at first, I have to admit, and that when it comes to leadership, there isn't much that we can't do now that we were doing before the pandemic. Because I think for a lot of people, the pandemic has completely changed our worlds and turned them upside down. So the notion that we can do everything now that we were doing before, can you elaborate on that a bit, please? Yeah, I mean, we'll probably dive more into my specific definition of what leadership is. Yeah. And I guess, you know, to give a quick recap here, my focus in terms of leadership is at a foundational level. Yeah. I don't talk about management. I don't also claim that every, like when people say, oh, you say everyone is a leader. Yeah. Yes, but not everyone is the same kind of leader. I'm not saying everyone can or should be a CEO or yeah. everyone can or should run a country or that anyone want, like everyone doesn't want necessarily to do those things, right? Yeah. But what I am saying is there's a form of leadership to which we all can and should aspire. And my form of leadership on which I focus, and, and look, I have a focus on one type, and I think that's important. Like the answers that I give are focused around one particular type of leadership, which is an acknowledgement of the gap between the person you wanna be and how you're actually behaving, and acceptance of the responsibility that that gap exists, and coming up with an effort to close it a little bit every day, and acknowledging and forgiving ourselves for the fact we're not going to. So my type of leadership that I focus on and that I, I love diving into because I don't just want to say that this is the type of leadership to which we should aspire, but the how-to piece of it, right? So my concept is that the true power that all of us have in this world 
is in moments of interpersonal impact. And moments of, inter moments of leadership, to me, are moments of interpersonal impact. It's not the extent of leadership. There's a lot more to it than that. But this is the foundational piece that we're all capable of. And a lot of people skip over on their path to actual sort of influence and authority. And I think that it's so crucial. Now, I think that moments of leadership, and when I talk about them, I'm being very specific. I'm talking about moments of interpersonal impact that is driven through things like courage, accountability, empowerment, forgiveness, kindness. Those moments have the biggest impact on us on a day-to-day -day life, much more so than any CEO. Like honestly, the people you work with have a bigger impact on your day-to-day -day life than the CEO of whoever you work, like wherever you work. Uh, much more so than, obviously we're impacted by the prime minister, the president, but not really on a daily basis in a way that can impact our emotions in a moment. Moments of leadership, forgiveness and kindness and impact, those are moments of power. And they're basically the only source of power on the planet that doesn't have systemic barriers between most of the people on the planet and that power. Like almost every source of power on earth has systemic barriers between that power and most of the people on earth. But none of us are kept away from the power to have these interpersonal moments. And I guess what I get at when people say, how do we lead through the pandemic when we can't do all of these things? Ultimately, moments of interpersonal impact are not, especially the way we can talk to each other now, it's not the same way that we interact, but the way we're interacting now and the connections that we're fortunate enough to have through all of this, imagine if this happened in 1980, all right? But ultimately, we have not been denied the opportunity to have interpersonal impact on other people. What's changed is how we go about doing it. But I think what's happened for a lot of us is because how we can do it changed, we've sort of not necessarily pivoted to look at, well, how do we do it in another way? Moments of, and we'll talk about this, the six things I try to live every day are impact, growth, courage, empowerment, class, and self-respect. And there is absolutely nothing that keeps me from continuing to embody every single one of those every day with the tools that we've been given in terms of impacting other people. For me, it's even as simple as I went back to the first photograph on my phone, which is from 2015. Yeah. And because that's when I got my iPad, uh, iPhone. And what I've done is I've started to scroll through all 17,000 of my photographs and I've started to create a folder called the goat. All right. The greatest of all time. Yeah. And every time I see a photo that maybe in itself is a beautiful photograph, but represents a moment of true peace and joy and happiness in my life, I'm putting it into this new folder. And what more importantly, what I'm doing is I'm looking at the faces in those photographs. Some of them are not people I've spoken to in a while, not because we fell out or we're not friends anymore. It's just life happens. And I'm just sending them copies of that photo and just saying, thinking of you. That is the type of thing that, yeah, we can still do. What's interesting though, is what we're going through right now probably gives us more time to do that. Because I think one of the things that's happened with COVID is a lot of the things that we filled our time with in terms of errands, are now difficult or harder to do. And so the question is, what do we fill that time with? And I argue that we can fill it by actually taking the time to reach out and create moments of interpersonal impact. And in some ways, this has taken away the how we do it, but in some ways it's given us more time to actually do it. And so that's why for me, the pandemic hasn't impacted my desire to impact other people and lead. So that to me is kind of why I talk about, in many ways, the pandemic has given me an opportunity to write handwritten cards to people. And yeah. I never take the time to do that before. And that's just an example. Yeah, that's great. That is great. I, uh, I need to be more intentional with my photos. Usually when I'm scanning my, you know, 14,000 photos, it's more curiosity, but why on earth did I ever screenshot that thing? Uh, <laughs> that's great. Now, and I want to get into your six step process, Drew, because uh, that's, I think what people really, the, the, the bulk and the meat of what people came here for is they want to, they want to use this time to, to see how they can take some steps after today to become a better leader and confirm some things that they're already doing that they might not have ever considered uh, as leadership. But I have to ask if you, do you schedule the time to do that with your phone and send those out? Or is it something that when the, when the moment occurs to you and you feel moved to do it, you just sort of spontaneously do it? Yeah. You know what? I often will do it uh, right after I get up and you don't want to get out of bed, but I find if you do something with your eyes, right when you wake up and yeah. I know a lot of us check our emails, et cetera. And I try to yeah. do it before email is yep. that you actually end up waking up a little bit because it's so hard to just wake up and roll out of bed. So what I do is I set my clock 10 minutes earlier and that way the first thing I get to do is sort of do this photo thing and then I'll often do it before I go to bed as well. 
But yeah, I don't necessarily schedule time for that. One thing we're finding with COVID, right, is that we end up with a lot of unscheduled time. And I think that it's in that time that we feel the most frustrated, we feel the most grief. And so yeah. if we can fill that time, the next time you're like, you're like, what the hell am I doing? This is the point I would have been out for my this or that, or my kids yeah. would be at soccer. Just think, okay, well, who can I reach out to? And, and doesn't mean you have to have a big on conversation, but it, if you make a list right now of individuals who have been fundamental in your career, and I mean, you were telling me before we went on that you remember an interaction with that wasn't good because someone sort of called you out on a bad business practice. But let's think about those individuals. There's just not much time for reflection in our everyday lives. And I think that some of us think that reflection means we have to sort of go Zen or, you know, adopt this significant portion of our day for sitting there and doing this. And it's not, but what we're, we have now is a little bit more time for reflection on our lives. And I think that if you're out there, list the people in your life, maybe it was a boss, a coworker, um, someone who gave you a tough lesson and just list those and think about it. That I think is in itself a good exercise, but then you can actually reach out when you have that 15 minutes and you're just like, I wish it wasn't COVID because I wish I was doing something else. Go and do that. Just send a text or an email to that individual and they probably don't remember that moment. But what it does is it, when you remind them that the time they took, good or bad, to, to help offer you something or to have your back on something is still something that is rippling through your life. What you do then is you might encourage someone else to do the same thing. So I think that that is, is a key thing that what's going on now gives us the chance to do. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the, moment, uh, the moment that Drew is referencing, I posted it on Twitter. Uh, it was actually, it actually, I look at it as quite a positive moment, Drew. Even though it was a blunt uh, moment of feedback, it totally changed the trajectory of, uh, of my, uh, my career and, and my life in that one little, uh, that one little lunch uh, that we had for 45 minutes. So it was a, it was a positive leadership moment uh, looking back on it. You know, what's interesting too, my friend, just, just to ask, when yeah. we actually take the time to reflect on that stuff, like if you're talking about how to create moments of, of interpersonal impact, one of the key things is to look back at your life and ask, well, what moments did I have? And especially in the business world, when you think about mentors, you think about former bosses, clients, you know, people who actually gave you a moment that at the time didn't feel great, but now you realize is such a positive thing is that one, it allows you to think about whether you've told them that, but I also think it gives us the chance to look and say, have I done that? Yeah. And I think that we can look back on our lives and say, man, that was so great that someone did that for me at that moment. But then the next question I think we should be is, have I done that for someone else? And I think that we try to struggle to come up with what can I do when really the answer to that is probably in our history and probably in our past. And the thing is, when you're in a story and you're, and you're like laying track for the rest of the story, it's sometimes you don't feel like you have time or it's self-indulgent to reflect on the story itself. Like you don't flip back a couple of chapters and keep going. And I think in our lives, a lot of the lessons we're looking for and a lot of the next steps that we're not sure what we do now probably is in our, in our backstory. Someone's done it for us. And I think that what happens is it's good to look forward, you know, but I also think that a lot of lessons that can be applied now in terms of our leadership, our business and our impact are in our history. And as we go through our life, we rarely look back at our history except the worst parts. And I think that that is something that we can, because when you look back, I think people are afraid. I don't want to look back because it, I'm going to remember bad things, but you can also remember the positive. It's the challenge with the fact that every relationship in our life with a person, with a business, uh, with a place has a beginning, a middle and an end. They all do. The problem is we basically in our memory allow our concept of every relationship in our life, but from a job to a person to basically be shaped by the last third of it. A minority of the relationship shapes the majority of our feelings about it in the future. And I think that it takes some effort to look back and start to pull out those lessons for ourselves and others that are a part of our life already. Yeah, well, well said, Drew. And you're, uh, you're, you're making my brain fire with a bunch of questions right now. And I want to remind people that if you have questions of Drew as he's speaking right now, please put them in the Q&A box and we'll do our best to get to all of those questions uh, within the time that we have left. Okay, shorter let's, answers, Drew, shorter get, answers. Your, uh, yeah, so let's get to your six-step um, uh, framework. Uh, people may be, this may be review for them and others may be hearing about it for the first time. So let's, I'm really anxious and eager to dive into this. 
Yeah, so I'm going to try to do the short version. And yeah. then right now people are like, yeah, that's not, you've answered like three questions so far, Dudley. Uh, so I don't want to tell the story of how it came about, even though I love that story. Uh, the process that I tried, that we developed, and I did this with the help of some students at the University of Toronto, is based on a couple of things. One, some research that shows individuals with personal value clarity are happier, more productive, less likely to leave their jobs, and overall, better employees and happier people. So if you understand your personal values, your life is better, okay? The second piece is we based it on a couple of behavioral psychology tricks. The idea being is that we wanted to behave a certain way and live up to certain values, but life got in the way and we didn't think of them during the course of the day, our core values. And if you do not use your values as criteria for decision-making, if you don't think about your values when you make decisions, they're not actually values. They're just things that look good on a, a wall of a bulletin board in an office or on a website, okay? And on a personal level, it just means it's how you fill out the biggest lie on earth, not the biggest lie on earth, uh, but I'm the type of person who, that phrase is always followed by a lie. And so ultimately, if you don't think about your values throughout the day when you make decisions, they're not values. So we wanted to figure out a way to actually live up to the values we claim for consciously so I went, you know, with psychology help, the, the nice thing about working at a university is there's experts on everything, yeah. is, okay, is there any subconscious tricks you can use to take, to combine with your conscious desire to act a certain way that'll make it more likely? And there's two that are really interesting to me. One is called the Zygarnik effect, which basically says that stuff that you haven't completed takes up more of a spot in your consciousness than things that you have completed. So stuff that you haven't done that you're supposed to bugs you. And the other is the question behavior effect, which says if you ask somebody a series of questions about a behavior, they're way more likely to engage in that behavior. Yeah. Not tell them to do it, not encourage them to do it, but just ask them questions about it. Hey, what does generosity mean to you? It's the most generous person you've ever seen. It's the most generous thing you've ever witnessed. People are more likely to be generous later in the day. And you didn't tell them to do it. You just triggered their mind. And so the power of an unanswered question is what drives this process. And instead of having a goal to live up to impact or empowerment or courage, what we basically did is create questions because the human brain hates unanswered questions. It drives it bananas. And if you have an unanswered question in your brain, your brain will work on it and try to find an answer first consciously, then unconsciously. And if it can't find an answer, it'll make one up and convince you that it's right. And so ultimately knowing that information, it's why the name of that actor or actress you couldn't remember two days ago pops into your head in the shower or driving like a day and a half afterwards. That's how your brain will work on things. So we figured if we create questions tied to these values that we care about, and we put those questions into our expectations for ourselves every morning, well then our brain will desperately look for ways to answer them. And the key is that the questions, for instance, what have I done today to recognize someone else's leadership is a fundamental question that is an expectation of myself and the people I work with every single day. And the problem, the thing with that question is, what have I done today is you can't, you can't just make it a yes. It's not yes, no. You can say, yeah, I did, but you don't have to be specific. That demands specificity. And I'll tell you, if you make that question a part of your life for the next 30 days, your career will get stronger, your relationships will get better, and your life will be more impactful. Because leadership recognized is leadership created. And there's so much leadership out there we're not recognizing. And so the, the process we took, realizing when we tested it, that going through a day with that question as an expectation, we were way more likely to actually live the value of impact that we wanted to than we were when we just taste impact. And so we adopted a philosophy called well, the leadership test, which is basically six questions tied to the six values we wanted to define us as people. And what we did was our goal, we looked at it like this. And this is an interesting way of looking at the world. A student came up with it. Imagine if every night before you go to bed, you have to prove you deserve another day on the planet. And to prove it, you got to pass this six question test, which is just three out of the six questions, pass, fail. But you get the questions in the morning. And if you got the questions in the morning, they'd be non-negotiable if you knew that your, your continuing existence depended on getting three of them. You wouldn't answer them when you had time. It would be priority. And because those questions are tied to the values we wanted to define us as people, what we did with that approach, what I continue to try to do with that approach, is it prioritizes my to-be list over my to-do list. And I think for a lot of us, and this was hard for me to acknowledge, 
we live our to be list, who we want to be when we have extra time around our to do list. And that to me is a is a backwards way of doing it. And it was hard for me to recognize how long in my life I had allowed myself to let my to do list drive my to be list. So that's the process. It's based in behavioral psychology that says the key isn't to say I want to live this value. The key is to identify what that value means in terms of the phrase it's a commitment to and then create a question that you can't answer without living the value. And that is has been so powerfully effective. And I, because your brain will plan out, sometimes you can plan out how to recognize someone's leadership, but sometimes what happens is you're just given an opportunity and you can seize it because your brain is like, here's my chance to answer the question. When that incredibly nice clerk at Shoppers Drug Mart, going through everything they're going through, still finds a way to make a joke or laugh or tell you that you look great today, whatever the case may be, that's your moment where in a moment you can say, oh crap, here's my chance to answer it. You don't have to sit and think, I'm gonna write my boss a letter today. There's opportunities. And you'll find that you can answer these questions through your to-do list, not instead of. Like one of my questions is for empowerment. What have I done today to move someone else closer to a goal? And just, just before I started this, I realized, well, I can stick the book, the new book of a friend of mine called Hello Fears by Michelle Poehler. It's amazing in the background. And it's a simple thing, but... That's my way of being like, hey, everybody, you should consider picking up this book by the amazing Michelle Poehler. And it, what happens is you just start to look through your life for opportunities to answer the questions tied to your core values. Absolutely. And that's a good reminder. So for people seeing the awesome looking yellow book in the background, on <laughs> the screen, uh, we're giving away some copies of Drew's book uh, today, day, uh, day one. And uh, we can, you can enter the draw by uh, filling out the feedback form at the end of the show. And I, and I think the the to be versus the to do list that's really striking a chord the comments are coming in and i want to remind people to please get their questions for drew into the q a and very shortly we'll start to ask them all those questions uh, and some of the child psychology work that i've seen as well drew asking there's some interesting evidence on building resiliency in children that we should be asking them not what they want to do with their lives but who they want to be who do they want to become how do they want to show up so that's uh, that's really interesting that you would bring that up so let's uh, let's keep going on the uh, on the, on the framework. Well, basically, ultimately, just to, to give a little bit of background, the, the values, it started with the value of impact. We started yeah. with one. And what happened was we committed to 30 days to answering that, myself and the students. Yeah. And the moments that emerged out of those were so powerful. And, and what's really hard on this particular podcast, given the time, is that I get to talk about the impact, but I actually don't get to share the stories behind it. And I'm such like a story driven guy, but yeah. the stories take some time. Yeah. But we started with impact for 30 days, we did it. Uh, and these were busy students, right? Like this was through a busy time and for me as well. And so ultimately, they were still finding time to do it because the results were good. Now, there was pushback at first, right? They're like, this is too simple. This is like, this isn't leadership. Where's the talk about how to like influence other people and build strong teams. And look, I'm not saying you can't be successful without doing this. You can't become famous without doing this. I'm just saying it's hard to move yourself or a team to peak performance without knowing your values and actually being able to point every day to how it works or to how you've actually lived up to your values for yourself and for other people. But ultimately what we were trying to do with this process is we came up with impact, growth, courage, empowerment, class, and self-respect. The questions being, uh, what have I done today to recognize someone's leadership for impact growth? What did I do today to make it more likely someone would learn something? Uh, and it was, uh, what was it? Sorry, courage. What did I try today that might not work, but tried anyway, which has been a game changer. There was, what have I done today to move someone else closer to a goal for empowerment? How did I elevate instead of escalate today for class? Elevate means you try to succeed. Escalate means you're trying to win. There's a difference between those two things. Three words that save relationships and jobs. Elevate, don't escalate. Elevate, don't escalate. When you're getting pissed off, like those three words have saved uh, my life a few times. And then self-respect, what have I done today to be good to myself? Those questions are ultimately something you can answer through your work every day. You know, for instance, I'm doing a podcast. That's part of my job. But I was able to use that podcast to do this thing for Michelle. And yeah. so what happened was instead of just doing a podcast to which I, I made a commitment, not that I wasn't happy about that, but I also sort of said, well, how is there an opportunity through this to do thing that I'm supposed to do to also at the end of it say, not only did I give a podcast, but I actually was the guy I wanted to be 
today, at least for a, a portion. And a big part of it is evidence that you matter. Because here's the, let me ask, Jeff, I may have asked you this before. I'm going to put you right on the spot here, okay? Uh, yeah, sorry, I just saw someone pop up and say that was really fast on the questions. We will make sure that you can get a, a copy of those. Uh, I'll work that out with, with you, Jeff, as well, so we can do it. Um, but what was I saying? Oh, uh, Jeff, and anybody else who's listening to this right now, why do you matter? That's, a, that's, that's hard to answer. Because um, there's a lot of stuff that, that, that question, that question triggers a lot of self-doubt for me. It, it, uh, it questions, am I doing enough to matter to people? Um, but, but I, but I think you used the word catalyst earlier and I, I sometimes have a hard time being vocal about some of the things I believe in, but I, I think that one of my, my gifts is bringing people together is connecting people and what i aspire to do is is to be a catalyst for people to become the best absolute versions they can be of themselves and and trying to sort of assess my congruency uh with behavior to that goal and i think in some areas of my life i'm better than others and every day is different um but that that would sort of be my initial reaction to that question but it's hard to answer without coming across as perhaps being arrogant or self or, or too much a sense too much sense of self-importance to say that, well, who am I to say I, I matter? Well, it's not even the thing if you say it. All right, first of all, why is it self-importance to recognize that you actually do have an impact on this world? Have you ever, like when's the last time you were asked that question? I don't know if I've ever been asked that question. And, and you spent a lot of time in school. We all spent time in school. Ask your kids that question. If you're, if you're at home and you have kids and they're probably near you, I asked your kids that question. And what I found is if they're under the age of five, they don't feel this sort of, oh, well, I'm not allowed to say it, right? If they're under the age of five, they give you answers that will melt your ass. But once they turn five and we send them to school, they start to believe that why they matter is not up to them, it's to be evaluated by other people. And we never, and a lot of us never unlearn that lesson. And I've asked that question to hundreds of people. 95% either can't give me an answer or they're making one up on the spot. And, and that to me is so, difficult it's and because you don't have to you don't have to project when you come up with an answer to why do you matter you don't have to tell other people but you better well know for yourself because if we don't truly give ourselves evidence that we matter we never feel confident in being able to say that we do and when you don't feel like you matter you often don't treat other people like they do and so for me when you say here are the questions that are tied to who i want to be every day and at the end of the day you say well i got them what you've got is evidence that you matter now the key is to stop fighting that fact. It doesn't mean that you change the world because there is no world. There's 9 billion understandings of it, right? But how can we claim what we're delivering to young people is an education when some of the most dynamic, caring, compassionate, well-educated people on earth can't answer why do you matter because no one's ever asked them before. And what I wanted to recognize, what we try to recognize with this idea of day one leadership, I haven't even talked about day one, uh, is that a recognition of a reality of life Okay, because I don't, any plan that I give that only works when you have extra time or you're having a good day is a shitty plan. All right, yeah. that doesn't work. And yeah. so what this tends to do is it recognizes that you're not always in charge of what you have to do every day. Yeah. It's just a reality, but you're yeah. always in charge of who you are. Always. If you read books about people who went through concentration camps, the, their biggest thing that they say over and over again is that they can take everything from you, but not who you are. And if you give yourself a reminder every single day that that is not to be compromised and that you have that power, that is, is key. But if we don't use that power every day, we forget that we have it. And so my big question is, why do you matter? And ultimately, if you, don't, if you hesitate to answer that question, how about this? How about you just give yourself irrefutable evidence that you matter on a daily basis? Because look, I have a lot of shitty days in my life, okay? But what I love is that even on the days where everything outside of my control blows up in my face, I still can go home at the end of the day and say, I got, my, I got three of my questions. So even though today was a loss, I'm not like, oh, we'll just look on the bright side. Screw it. Like nobody lived. A, that's not a human life that that person lived who was like, oh, I always find the bright side. But ultimately what it does, it says today was a loss. I, I played today. I fought today. I lost today. But it wasn't a waste. And there's a difference between losing a day and wasting a day. And if you waste enough, it changes how you feel about yourself and how you treat other people.
So ultimately, the whole process for me is about giving evidence that you matter on a daily basis. Because you can't answer those questions, you can't live up to those values without mattering. And so the only thing keeping you from recognizing it is simply a lack of willingness to acknowledge why you're awesome. And for what it's worth, humility is what's driving a lot of people to do this. Like being humble for what it's worth, being humble doesn't mean denying why you're amazing. It means recognizing that what makes you amazing doesn't make you better than other people. And so one thing I wanted to get across to young people is humility is this fake character positive that people are talking it's but it's not positive if what humility means to you is denying your what's great about you is denying your impact denying that you matter in the name of not upsetting people around you or making them think that you're too full of yourself like do you realize how much better you are to other people when you have some degree of full being like full of yourself when you feel that you're a good person you're more confident to go out and do it for others and look Just because you do bad things, you're not the worst thing you ever did. And just because you have bad thoughts doesn't mean you're a bad person. And I think maybe when we talk about leadership, we do get some of this idea like, and you watch Instagram and it's like, my life changed when I just lived with gratitude or I lived with love and awesome. But I don't know about most of you, I have no idea how to do that. Like I'm just so pissed off at the world sometimes. But what happens is the process for me is the tool I use to acknowledge and not to look at the fact that I'm bitter and angry and jealous sometimes uh, and, and cynical sometimes is instead of looking at that as a character flaw and saying true leadership is never having bad thoughts. True leadership is acknowledging that's a part of how you think, but you have a process to make sure that those thoughts are not translated into behavior. In fact, they're translated to the opposite behavior. The six questions I use every day is the weapon that I've given my better angels to try to do battle with my demons. Because I'll tell you something, my demons are incredibly well-funded and heavily armed. Yeah, absolutely. Drew, I wanna segue, uh, segue into day one, and, uh, and, and, and so as we're doing that, there, there are a couple of things that you've highlighted for me. And first of all is the notion that you become who you hang out with and spend your time with and, and, and that what you occupy your thoughts with. And you know, I'm certainly lucky that I'm surrounded by incredible colleagues. And I think that we do a pretty good job of recognizing each other's strengths and superpowers. So that is so important. The other part you, that you touched on earlier was the power of questions and how the brain just can't uh, avoid trying to answer it at all costs, even if they're not even that interested in the question. Uh, and that's what we find in companies that are growing, that are attracting uh, loyal customers and, as ra- and raving fans that are attracting the the best talent in the marketplace, they're focused on solving specific problems. So it's almost like they have, even if it's not a specific core value, they've embedded this innate curiosity about making the world a better place, reducing friction, solving problems uh, that are not currently being addressed or solving them in a way that's different than is currently being addressed. And I think that those things shouldn't be lost on anybody that's part of an organization is are you solving clear enough problems as an entire organization right now and shining a spotlight on those things. So thanks for, uh, for bringing that to the forefront, Drew. So let's talk about day one a bit. I, I, want, I know we're, we're already running out of time, but I don't want to miss a chance for you to, to talk about day one a little bit. Yeah, I think the thing is that one of the fundamental uh, pieces uh, that keeps us from really embracing our leadership or anything is how intimidating it is to make that kind of commitment day after day. Uh, now, day one as a concept for me emerged because of the day ones in my life when the uh, theory that I was trying to share at U of T mixed with the insight I got from mentors mixed with my own life experience. I had day one of starting my own company. I had day one of being a vocal advocate for mental health awareness because I stopped hiding the fact that I'm bipolar because yeah. I realized I can't expect people I care about to openly do battle with their disease and get the help they want when I'm not willing to do it, because what kind of example is that? And what I ultimately discovered when I was open about that and was afraid it would damage my career because we still equate mental illness with mental weakness. And my entire career is based on whether or not people find my ideas credible. And, but instead of having people sort of step out and attack as a result, or apparently it hurting business because people thought, well, why should I take advice from someone who's openly acknowledged that he's mentally ill? What happened was, I discovered that the power of finding a way to help people say, oh my God, I thought I was the only one. Like if you want to know a simple question that's going to help you become more influential in this world, 
Think about anything that you can say publicly that will make someone else think to themselves, oh my God, I thought I was the only one. I thought I was the only one afraid of that. I thought I was the only one hurt by that. I thought I was the only one who was hiding that. That is a gift. Every one of us has a story that if we shared a piece of that story that we're hiding, we're gonna make someone else say, I thought I was the only one. And if you do that, that's leadership full stop there. I had day one of going from a, uh, like over 300 pounds to uh, 200 pounds. I had day one of a life without alcohol. Like I'm powerless over alcohol. But what I learned in recovery is if you don't want to have a drink for the rest of your life, you choose not to have a drink today. And then you just act every day for the rest of your life as if it's your first day of recovery. Because day one, the key to day ones is there is an inherent commitment, humility, and forgiveness on any day one. You screw up on day one, everybody does. All right. You don't give up on the mission. You recommit the next day. So day one is about saying there are non-negotiable behaviors that have to be a part of every day of my life. Even if 95% of my days are different, the there is 5% of every day of my life that has to stay the same. And what I learned is that there's really no excuse to not be able to make that commitment. Because my number one priority between every single day is to, between getting up in the morning and going to bed, not have a drink. And if, I, if, if thousands of us, if millions of us out there, whether it's heroin, whether it's uh, opioids, whether it's alcohol, if we can make a commitment and all of us can make that commitment to say this incredibly dangerous thing that we do every day, all I will worry about is not doing it today, then we can do the same with things like having an impact on other people. Oh, there's not enough time. Oh, it's hard. Oh, I get distracted. So do I. But somehow, myself and so many other people out there, and this is saying I'm awesome. Trust me, I did so much damage as a result of my alcoholism. But if you can make that commitment, then you can make a commitment to also having non-negotiable leadership behaviors. And that is what the whole idea of day one is, is that you, don't, you can't coast on what you've done and you can't be too intimidated by all that is still to, do, to be done. What you do is you look at today and say, hey, I may not know what to do in the future, but I do know what to do today. And what that means is that when you get to the unknown future, We've seen how it can be made unknown. You'll be proud of the person that, that got there. And when you're proud of the person you are, you're less afraid to put that person out into the world. Yeah, absolutely. We have a question coming in from Sue that I'd like to answer. Uh, so uh, Sue is asking, we have a lot of young leaders in our organization, and I'm wondering if the values they should be thinking about regarding the six questions should be the company's values or their own personal values, or is this a combination of both? That's a great question, Sue. It's an amazing question. And actually, some research into that is what drove a lot of the work that I do. Like uh, Kuzin and Posner, they wrote a book called yeah. The Leadership Challenge, which is amazing, yeah. except it's not super engaging the book, but the content is amazing. Yeah. And so ultimately, what they came up with is they wanted to know the difference between impact of, co of company values and uh, personal values. And what they ultimately discovered is that it is personal values that are directly correlated to performance, happiness, retention, and that company values in terms of their awareness of company values actually was relatively low impact so that if you had to choose between an employee who was well aware of the company values and an employee that was well aware of their own values you're actually better off focusing on personal values because as a general rule that's what apparently drives people now oh we need value alignment no you don't like this is this thing that like gets thrown around in the business we need value alignment between our employees and our company no what you need is to avoid value conflict. Because if one of your values of your employee is compassion and one of your values as a company is customer service, there is no conflict there. The yeah. key is to help your employees figure out what their values are and then help them uh, because once you know them, you one, better understand why they make decisions. But also it allows you to figure out ways of adjusting the culture of your organization or the processes that people do or what their expectations of their workday are to allow them to very consciously feel as if they're living their personal values through the company. And if you allow your employees to do that, whatever your company values are, are probably going to be reflected in their behavior because that's their choice to be themselves. That's the difference like to be between to do and to be. Like if the company says our values are customer service, that's what you have to do every day. And that's not a bad thing to have to do. But if your value is compassion, that's who you want to be. But through living that value, you're almost definitely going to live the company values as well. And so don't worry about value alignment. Worry about value awareness and worry about avoiding value conflict. 
And there aren't a ton of good values that actually conflict with one another. Kindness and honesty, but heads every, every now and then. Right. Okay. Okay. No, that's, uh, that's, that's good. That, that, yeah, that gives, I think that gives us a lot to think about the, the, the values conflict piece versus values alignment. Uh, I, I have to ask as well, Drew, uh, and there are, uh, there's some interesting research on this too. And Adam Grant's been at the forefront of some of this stuff. He wrote a really awesome book called Give and Take. And it was, it was this notion that givers actually finish first. And you, know, you, can, you can debate what finishing first actually means. Uh, but I thought it was a wonderful, wonderful paradigm shift on, on that. And that you don't have to sabotage and, and uh, compete with other people to get ahead in life. It's wonderful. But I'm wondering what your view is on, are, are we born as givers uh, or are we made to be givers uh, versus being takers and matchers, that type of a thing. But are we born this way or, or can we grow and can we learn and change and evolve into being a giver? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, and I'm going to say uh, three words that I've discovered as you get older are the three best words in leadership. I don't know. Because um, yeah. I know when we're in school uh, saying, I don't know, get you punished, right? Because you're supposed to know. But as yeah. we get older, and we all know if we work with people like this, not being willing to say, I don't know, just means that you're going to demonstrate that. And so I think what's really interesting is, I think we can learn that, but it's very hard when you're already put into a system for 20 years in school that grades you and compares you to other people. And yeah. so ultimately, look, we can say all we want, but people are rewards-based people. And you can basically say, oh, no, it's good to be kind. It's good to be this. But when you still reward the highest performers and the people who get A's, and when you still reward the highest performers in your organization with more money and better titles, even though their way of outperforming others hurts other people, look, we can say all we want. What people adapt their behavior to is where the rewards come from. So it's not so much we need to say different things. It's that we have to restructure reward systems to reflect what we care about. And I think that's really important. The other piece with the, the finish line, like givers finish first, here's, I, I drove the finish line for the first part of my life. Like that's what I needed to get to. And now what I've kind of adopted is go ahead and finish first. Yeah. All right. Because what I, if you finish first in the 400 meters, good for you, you beat me. But if I'm running a marathon, of course you beat me. Like maybe the reason that nice people finish last is they're running a longer race. Maybe the reason nice people finish last is because their finish line is way farther ahead. So ultimately, yeah, go ahead and finish behind other people. It's the nature of the race you choose to run that I think defines you. That's profound. You alluded to it already, but you mentioned to me earlier that being not being positive is not a character flaw. Can you, can you elaborate on that, please? Yeah, I just mean that it was hard for me because someone came up and asked me to, to I had a front row bulkhead seat uh, next to a window on like a nine hour flight. And then someone comes up and says, I'm sorry, I want to sit next to my family. Would you be willing to change? And like, there's a, an unwritten rule in my world that says, if you're going to ask someone to swap seats on a plane, you must have a seat of equal or greater value. But yeah. he's in row 48 in a middle seat and he wants to sit next to his family. Now, his family is like his wife and a 12 year old. It's not a baby. And so everything I talk about in my book and that people know me and they see the lollipop guy, they're like, oh, of course, I'd love to do that. That's what leaders do. No, my initial thought was, hell's no. And then I judged myself for that. Drew, you're like, you have a tattooed on your arm, right? What would the man I want to be do here? And so I didn't want to do it. But then I realized that this is one of those leadership choices where don't judge myself on whether or not I don't want to do this. Judge myself on whether or not I swap seats. And so what I started to realize is that why did I just judge myself for not wanting to do it? And that's what I remember about the whole situation as opposed to the fact that I did it. That's what I mean is that it is not your thoughts. Like leadership and being a good person doesn't mean you only think good things. It means that the, you acknowledge what you're thinking and you ultimately choose and identify when your impulses do not match your aspirations. And so just don't feel bad if you're a jealous, mad, like cynical, pissed off person sometimes. But if you put that out into the world, that's the problem. But I think that too many people just say, well, I'm not a leader. I'm not a good person because they, you know, every bad thing you've ever done. Like you do. So of course we don't like ourselves because we know every shitty thing we've ever done. But remember, you're not the worst actions that you, you're not the worst thing you've ever done. And maybe I'm biased on that because I'm a recovering alcoholic. 
and I was unmedicated bipolar. So if I don't adopt the philosophy that you're not the worst thing you've ever done, well then probably I'm gonna have trouble living with myself. But just remember that, that's what I mean by that. It's not a character flaw to be pissed. It's not a character flaw to be fearful. And instead of focusing on our behaviors, we focus on these inner thoughts. Cause yeah, they do drive behavior, but it doesn't just mean you have to think good to do good. It means you have to be aware of your bad thoughts and the impact they could have, and then you can do good. So don't beat yourself up if you're not like sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows all the time. Because I'm not. That's well said. Of course, that's not to be like, because I'm not, so you feel good with it. Yeah. But I'm like, look, I have an entire career based on doing good things. Yeah. And Drew, I'm, I'm going to need your, uh, your 90-second answer on this. Yeah. Uh, but I, just, I know we got questions. <laughs> avoid asking it. <clears throat> Well, I post a video on Twitter. I get three people that like it. It's my grandma, uh, my mom, and my, one of my sisters. You have a TED Talk that's nearing five million views. Can you just, what was that? Pro, what was that like? Like, how fast did you know <clears throat> that it was starting to go viral and it was starting to hit and resonate that big? And just what did that? What was that whole experience like? And what has it been like? Well, I'll, I'll do it this way, uh, very quick. Uh, one, it took a while, uh, just so everybody knows. Yeah, it's yeah. up to 5 million views on one, a million views on the other, apparently. But it took, I did that in 2010. Yeah. And then it was two years later when it got posted on TED. Two full years. And before it got posted on the main TED site, it hit 10,000 views. I was so excited that yeah. I donated $500 in TED's name because, wow, I had a video that hit 10,000 views. Between yeah. it was posted on Friday and Monday morning, there was a quarter million people who had watched it, and then it just took off. Yeah. But you plant a seed and sometimes it takes forever to grow. So yeah. that experience was incredibly humbling. It continues to be when people reach out. It's a very poorly delivered speech from a professional speaker standpoint, but the story seems to carry and I'm proud that it's out there. But just so you know, it took two years before yeah. that thing found its audience. And some of the stuff you put out into the world will take a while before it finds traction and starts to impact, but it might. And so be patient in your impact on the world. Sometimes it's a depth charge and it has to spend a little bit of time before it hits the right spot and then it goes off for people. Drew, thank you so much for today. I want to remind people, if you, if you fill out the feedback form as you exit today's episode, you'll be entered into a draw to win a copy of Drew's book. And I also, also want to just extend a, a special acknowledgement of gratitude to Drew. He's been, he has been so incredible to work with. Uh, we had him booked at our conference a couple of months ago in March that we had to postpone. But prior to postponing it, Drew was willing to jump in and fill other speaker slots that couldn't travel from the U.S. before it was canceled. He put up his hand and said, I will do whatever you need me to do to make sure that every single person that comes to your conference gets amazing value. So, Drew, uh, you, you have been such a game changer for me personally since I've had a chance to really dive into who you are and spend some time with you in the last few months. You've impacted hundreds of people on today's show uh, so I, I just, there's nothing I could say to properly thank you, but I just want to say thank you. Uh, as we close off today, uh, if we didn't get to your questions, please in, uh, email us at info at unleashedresults.com. Fill out the survey. We are offering a chance for two workshops here as well. So we have got limited to 30 people. There's only 20 spots left, but we are running a culture and connection workshop, how to build high performing teams that get things done remotely. It's a $300 workshop. We're offering it to attendees today for only $79. And then Drew has got his wonderful uh, day one leadership program, uh, retails at $200. He's offering it for only $10 US and all of the proceeds from Drew's uh, training workshop go to frontline workers. I'm also gonna throw down a unique challenge just to spread uh, love and kindness into the world. Share your stories of inspiration and impact, how other people have impacted you, and use the hashtag results unleashed. Let's see if we can create a library on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn of these wonderful, inspiring stories. We will certainly retweet, uh, retweet and repost those and comment on them. But let's create a ripple of kindness. And a reminder next week, we have got leadership guru. Uh, one of the most impactful and influential leadership and management thinkers of the last 40 years, Tom Peters. I can't believe he said yes when I reached out through uh, DM on Twitter. And he said, yep, I'll, uh, I'll come and join you for an hour uh, because your people sound like my people. So I can't wait for everyone to join us next Thursday. Uh, same time, same place for Tom Peters. Drew Dudley, thank you so much. This has been an incredible hour. What an inspiring, uplifting way to spend, uh, spend a Thursday. And, and Jeff, just so your, your followers know, um, if you send me the questions that we didn't get to because I have long answers, I'll cut a video just answering those questions that you can put on your website. So I, I'm sure there are some great questions we didn't get a chance to get to. So if you send me that, 
I'll answer it in video format and we can basically do that Q and A at a different time. That's excellent. So I'll still answer the questions if that's cool. And if a couple people, I'll actually uh, send you two of Michelle's books too. If you add two extra names to your poll and then tell me who they are, I'll, I'll buy that book for them and send it out as well. That's awesome, Drew. Thank you. Thank my you. Pleasure.